This is Holly Benton of Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. In the first episode of Dulos, a production of the Ephesus School Network, my guest here today is Father Mark Vulos of St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. He and Dr. Richard Benton co-host the Bible as Literature podcast that you can also find on the Ephesus School Network. He is author of Torah to the Gentiles, a commentary on Paul's letter to the Galatians, and he also works in the private sector as an IT executive. Father Mark was key in developing our foundations of servant leadership for the Dulos program, an intensive program in servant leadership. And we'd like to discuss today, why are we calling this program Dulos? We know that servant leadership is a popular notion, even in corporate culture today. It started in the 1970s with Robert Greenleaf. He wrote a book called The Servant is Leader and really did a lot of thinking and a lot of writing about having a servant mindset in leadership. But we're using the term doulos because we felt like servant leadership in American corporate culture today doesn't quite get at the essence of what we are seeking in terms of a scriptural narrative and a scriptural model for servant leadership. Father, tell me a little bit about doulos in terms of a scriptural model for servant leadership. What I would say is that the term Thulos, in a way, imposes a lack of creativity on the part of the person subject to the teaching. You know, we think of creativity in business terms in very in a very positive way. We cast it in a positive light because creativity and innovation are used to create value to generate revenue. That's how business works. That's what the whole concept of a startup is all about. But with the specific business of the kingdom in an ecclesial setting, at the very moment when people want to exercise creativity, the will of God is imposed on us. And this is, it's really important. And I want to be very, in a way, specific about this. Because we even get creative in the way we talk about the will of God. It's just how we operate as human beings. We say will of God, and then we imagine something. And the very thing we're imagining is our own creation, which scripture would term an idol. So what I find very ingenious about the mechanism of the biblical tradition is that in the story, you have, you, you might say, the function, slave. You have characters who are slaves who then have to operate in a certain way in proximity to the will of God, but for the addressee of the text, who technically wasn't us, this text was written centuries ago to a different audience, and now we have to understand what was said to them so that we can benefit from its teaching. But for those addressees of the text, they now have to translate that behavior, the behavior of a slave, someone who listens and acts without questioning, they have to transfer that to the actual words on the page, which are the will of God, as Paul says in Galatians, for the students of the Bible. First, the original addressees, and by extension, those of us who are trying to eat the breadcrumbs that fall from the table of the Lord by listening in on that conversation between the writer and the original addressee. This is important because it transforms the spiritual life from a discussion of what feels right, which is kind of the New Age 
ethos that has gripped religion and is impacting all of the churches, including our own, and deals with the real matter of being spiritual according to Paul's teaching, meaning people who walk according to this rule, but that means that the work of being spiritual, and in the end, only Paul is spiritual. We have to submit to his rule in the gospel. This means that you have to actually work hard to see what is actually written on the page and understand what is being said. And this is even more complicated in our current moment in the United States, because as you can see from the breakdown of public discourse, people don't even believe in the discussion of what is there. We have become so, we've gone so far off the reservation that we just want to talk about what we want to talk about and we don't submit to anything. Whereas the one who is submitting to the rule of the spirit is trying to, without deviating, understand what's written on the page and submit to it. Literally, you're submitting as a slave to the to the teaching so that you can, to the best of your ability, implement it. And there is creativity in that sense because the way you implement the commandment, the way you find a way to do what God is asking in your situation, that's where there's definitely a place for the individual to exercise their intellect because it's not always clear. The commandment is clear, but how to carry it out in certain circumstances, how to fulfill its agenda is not always clear. I'm going to read from Matthew 20, starting with verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked for him something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Command that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We should notice here that whoever would be first among you must be your slave. That's the word doulos that comes from the Greek New Testament. It's a provocative word, and that's what we're using for our program in servant leadership. It doesn't really sit well with Americans given our history of slavery in the United States. Um, would I aspire to be a slave, to be a leader? Well, the, it's interesting that people wanna, that like, want to bring this text in when they're talking about leadership, because in the context of Matthew 20 and 21, especially Matthew 20, 
Jesus is being very specific. He's saying that the person who has more responsibility has to pay a higher price, which is why he will be crucified. That's what that text is referring to when it says slave of all. And the word slave is critical because as the most important human being in the system of human beings, if Jesus makes of himself a slave— and he's the son of God, then there is no king on earth. The only king is God the Father. So it's very important. He is pushing this question of the burden of responsibility, so to speak, to its ultimate limit and saying that the number one guy is demoted. So there is no promotion. And that's why earlier in the passage, you have this very typical scene where The parent is going in to get her sons a better job or going in to get them a better grade. The parent, the mother, is interested in career advancement and is trying to secure a sweet deal. This is how we think about, you know, career development, advancement and growth. What title we'll get, how much money we'll make, what kind of a great job we'll have, what's in it for us, when in fact, whether you're a lowly theokonos, or you're the son of God, or you're a patrician, whatever your station is in that matrix, the top station, son of God, which was originally Caesar's title, is demoted as a slave, and demoted most forcefully because Jesus bears the greatest burden of responsibility in the story. But again, I want to go back to what I said at the beginning— That's what happens in the story. But what does that mean for the discipline of studying Scripture and trying to walk according to this rule as the Israel of God in Galatians chapter 6? It means you have to submit as a slave to the will of God, which comes to you through the story, in the same way that Jesus submits as a slave to the will of his Father in the story. And that means, in very practical terms, Bible study, learning languages, repetition of biblical texts, memorization of vocabulary. It means making the effort to commit yourself to submit to the very narrow rule of what's written on the page. That's step one. And I want to keep coming back to that, Holly, because as often as we stray from that in, quote, the spiritual life in the churches— we stray towards, we wander towards a kind of neo-paganism where we're just talking about what we think and we're not trying to grapple with what God said once and for all in his scroll. You know, I'm just thinking about the statement that comes from Robert Greenleaf. He says that servant leadership begins with a natural feeling, a natural desire that one wants to serve. Here's his statement. The servant leader is servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. Then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. So it really seems like we might be up a creek if we're just waiting for people to have that natural feeling to want to serve. Is is that really what we're waiting for in the church when it comes to servant leadership? That natural feeling, that desire to want to serve? I think that's our basic operating premise in the United States, let alone the church. And 
that's why we have so many problems. Just ask one of your friends from the old country in whichever Orthodox church you attend. Just talk to them and get a sense of what duty means to them and what responsibility means to them. And then compare it with this nonsense. Leadership is duty, Holly. You know that. I mean, it's, it's, it's so strange to me. Like if I did what I felt as a corporate director, I'd be a terrible director. Right. It, it has huge implications for what it means to, to serve as a leader of the church. It has nothing to do with, do you feel ready to leave? Do you want to lead? What are your gifts? How would you like to serve in the church? Instead, when we talk about doulos and submitting to the commandment, it has very little to do with what you want to do and what gifts you bring to the table. It has to do with what is expected of you, what your responsibility is. It's your duty. The things we want to do are most often in conflict with the things that need to be done. What I find so interesting about this conversation is it's common sense, and it's a common sense that we've forgotten in our current historical moment, but that doesn't make it less correct or true. And the example I always give to help illustrate something that was a premise of Scripture that didn't need explanation for the original addressees, when you're doing something you enjoy and the baby cries, or it's time to pick up the kids from a sporting activity, or you have to go watch a sporting activity that you find boring or go to a concert, or you want to visit a friend who's depressed even though you don't enjoy their company. I could go on and on with examples of things we must do because we are bound by Scripture to love the neighbor and to care for those who are dependent on us that have absolutely nothing to do with choice or desire. And in fact, desire and choice work against those things. This doulos leadership that we're talking about is like a mother waking up in the middle of the night when the baby cries. It has nothing to do with her natural feeling of wanting to serve. Her biology kicks in and she just gets up and takes care of the business and and helping the baby with whatever is needed at the hour. That's what's so noble about the function of motherhood is that it, in its default setting, is that it does, in fact, embody the outcome of scriptural training because ultimately you want everything to have that impulse everything to function as a godly reaction to a situation by training. But in the beginning, you know you have to love your neighbor, so you you show hospitality, you visit that person who's in need, you take care of those in your charge, because you have to. How you feel is not material to the question of duty. It just is not. And in Scripture— The things that we desire are technically the things that oppose what God desires. So I know why people in management want to talk about what the individual desires, because everybody knows a great way to get what you want out of someone is to understand their motivations. But in an ecclesial setting, when you play that game, you become like Peter, James, and John in Galatians. You flirt with someone in order to shut them out of the kingdom. And I love that metaphor because it feels very much like someone who plays a dating game of hot and cold. You invite them in so that you can shut them out, except 
in terms of the gospel and our life in the church in relationship with each other as members of this body, we are shutting people out of the kingdom of the heavens when we play that game. The very thing that opens the kingdom to us is the thing that is difficult for us and that we don't desire. And it's expressed in its purest form in Matthew in the extreme example of crucifixion. What would you say to those who might read this and say, you know what? I don't want to be great. I don't need to be first. So I guess I'm off the hook. I don't have to be a servant or a slave because I don't want greatness and I don't want to be first. The problem is they're using that pronoun that is not present in the vocabulary of a slave in the presence of the master. What you are, what you become, is not the question at hand. The question at hand, if you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, is what did you just hear from the reading where you're standing right now? Because the real question that the fake question you just asked masks is, am I committed to my baptism or not? Either you are baptized on that day when the Lord comes, which remains to be seen for all of us, or you are not baptized. If, in the end, you are shown to have been baptized, then you are bound to answer the call of Scripture wherever you stand. You could be a dishwasher or a corporate CEO. And that's the part people don't like. They think it's noble that you can say, oh, uh, someone washing dishes could, could follow the Scriptures but they have a little difficulty understanding that the CEO is no different than a person who washes dishes in God's eyes, except that the CEO, because he has more income and more responsibility and more power to implement what God wants, will be judged more harshly. That's where this famous saying of John Chrysostom, or at least attributed to John Chrysostom, comes from about the streets of hell being paved with the skulls of the clergy. It's because the clergy have a huge responsibility and will be judged more harshly. That's why the Pharisees are the archvillains of Scripture. They wrote Scripture. They're the teachers. Paul was a Pharisee. In the way that they wrote the story and handed it to the church are presenting themselves as the most harshly condemned. That is the system. But how do you teach that in a culture where people don't resign anymore? when they should step down from their position when something is announced or exposed. There's no shame, because for us, leadership is entitlement. Income is entitlement. It's not duty, responsibility, and greater burden. Thank you, Father Mark, for your time today. Thanks for coming onto the program, for all of your work in helping to develop material that we have in the intensive program and servant leadership. Thanks for being here. You're most welcome. And I want to just mention before we drop off today that you were on like the, I think like the second or third episode of the Bible as Literature podcast all those years ago when we were talking about memorizing scripture. So it's nice that I'm coming on here in one of your early episodes and I wish you great success with this program. And I look forward to where you're going to take this uh, podcast called 